0: Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you and to serve you and ask you to bless this time, bless our study. We ask your spirit to come and and lead us and anoint this time in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 140. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil men. Preserve me from the violent men, which imagine mischief in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hand of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The proud have hit a snare for me and, and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me. Selah. I said unto the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O Lord, o, o God the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked devices, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. As for the head of those that compass about me, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them, let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits that they arise not again. Let not the evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. All right, here's David making a prayer for help and then praise it toward the end. And he starts out, Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. And this really is a prayer for all Christians and all believers. God, deliver, rescue, and take me away from the evil man and preserve or guard me against the violent man. And that should be our prayer. Guard me, God. Help me. Be on the lookout. And it's an amazing thing. I was sharing with somebody just the other day how easily, if we're listening to God, he says, don't do this or don't listen to this person. You know, he gives us wisdom in dealing with people so often, and we may not even know why. You know, God, he seems like a, you know, he or she seems like an honest person. They seem like they're saying the right things. And God says, don't, don't do it. Don't go there. And then you find out that they were a con artist or somebody trying to, you know, pull, pull the wool over your eyes. And all we need to do is listen to God and ask for his deliverance and his help. And here's David asking, deliver me from evil people, deliver me from the violent people. And in David's uh, time and for his life, they were really violent people trying to kill him. Saul was trying to kill him, then his son tried to kill him, Absalom tried to kill him, and he had court, court people who wanted to kill him off and on. He had people who literally wanted to do violence to him, and God's saying, guard me against them. And we see this over and over. God... Taking care of his people. And all we have to do is listen. And listening to God is sometimes a hard thing to do, especially if we're too busy to listen to him. And he's trying to help us. And he says, Why do you want to protect him? It says, Which imagine mischiefs in their heart continually, they are gathered together for war. They imagine all they think about, they're devising problems, they're devising issues. One of the things when I worked at the prison that I was warned about is that the inmates have nothing better to do than to plan an encounter with you. And they'll spend days figuring out what they're going to say, what possible things you might say in return, and how they're going to answer them, and trying to manipulate you. And is that every single prisoner? No, but there are prisoners out there that are trying to manipulate you. And this is what he's saying. You've got people that are imagining mischief, trouble, hardships. Uh, trying to make problems. And it's hard for me to imagine people who want to make problems. I try hard not to make problems with people. And yet I've met a number of people who it seems like their whole goal in life is to make as much problem and mischief as possible. And here David saying, you know, these violent men I'm asking you to protect them these these evil men, God, they're imagining mischief. They're trying to think, how can I best take advantage of, in this case, David, but uh, take advantage of us as Christians? And this is something that's very serious. And he says they are continually gathered together for war. They're always living for battle. They're living for war. They're always ready for war and use of weapons. And some of us know people that are like that. They're always seeming to want to battle. They're always seeming to want to fight. They're always seeming to want trouble. And they're sitting there trying to cause issues. And, you know, sometimes you want to not think of that of them, but there are people like that. There are people that are continually ready for battle. You could tell them the sky is blue and they're going to argue that there's a cloud in the sky. Or, you know, they might even try to convince you the sky is green, you know. They're, they're just ready to fight no matter what you say. So they have to disagree. They have to be argumentative. And it, when we're talking about God and Christ and, and his love and his mercy, they're we're battling all the way. No way, Jesus is the only way. No way, you know. What about all those people that have never heard about Jesus? Well, that's between God and them, not, not us. And, you know, we, there are those people that are always, they're abiding in a place ready to fight. And I can't imagine living that way. It must be a sad way to live. And yet there are so many that do it. Verse 3, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Selah means pause and consider, as far as we understand. He says they've sharpened their tongues like a serpent. And this is talking about the type of serpent in the Garden of Eden where, where Satan speaks through the voice of the serpent and I believe serpent here would have been the idea of dragons because dragons always have in all of legends dragons have this picture of speaking with people but we see this over and over he says they've sharpened their tongues like the serpent and you know dragons are always with this picture of being very smart intelligent speakers that are full of guile and, and and manipulation and it says they've sharpened them they've sharpened their tongues like somebody who's able to speak with that kind of guile and just deceit when adam and eve were clothed with the skin of the animal yes, the that would have been an animal that as far as they were concerned they had loved that animal for however long they had been in the garden and all of a sudden this animal was dying for them now whether it was a lamb or a goat or some other species that doesn't exist anymore because god had to kill it to be kill out an entire species to cover their sin, I don't know. You know and you think about that, they, who, depends on how far into the Garden of Eden that they were, there may not have been another animal for God, for that one to mate with and when God had to kill it to create those skins for them. It may have their sin may have wiped out an entire species of animal in the process because they needed to shed blood. That's hard to think about. You know, we think about how awful that sin was was. That first sin was an awful event that cost, number one, an animal. And for those who really love their animals, this is a big deal. They've been bonding with these animals. They were the masters of these animals. There were no wild animals. They were all domesticated. They were all their friends. Matter of fact, Adam spent the whole first six days naming them and getting to know them. And then he Got Eve at the end of that. Toward the end of that day, he would have had an attachment to those animals that would be a whole. Who knows how deep it was? So we have they. They sharpen their tongues like the serpent. They're being subtle. They're being cunning. Then he says, adder's poison is under their lips. Adder's poison is hemotoxic poison, which means it breaks down the clotting ability of the body. And breaks down the tissue around the body. How many people do we know that their 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 talk and their words are so toxic that that the that the body of Christ does not repair itself and relationships do not repair themselves because it stops the clotting of the body and breaks the breaks the tissue down. This stint, this one little sentence is a very powerful sentence. The poison of the adders is in on their lips, such poison that tears people apart and keeps them apart because of that poison and we've if you haven't been there you you know somebody who has been there were some words were said that hurt you so deeply that it's kept you from being able to appreciate some individual some person some organization because something was said that hurt so deep and was so poisonous that it the healing process was stopped sometimes we don't realize how powerful words are to the destruction of people or even to the healing of people there are people that remember things that their parents said to them decades ago in some cases you're so stupid you'll never amount to nothing and no matter how successful they become they, those words of their parents ring in their in their ears and they never feel successful enough they never feel smart enough Yeah, we all know somebody who said something in our life that still hurts to this day. And it may have been decades ago that it was said. Oh, words are so powerful. And they're not creative or, or or destructive in and of themselves, but they are very powerful. They can separate best friends. They can draw people together if they're the right words, which is why God tells us that our words are to be sweet and to be be edifying. Not lying to edify. We've said this many times. If you lie to somebody to edify them, that, that is deceit and they know it. But you know, kind words binds up the wounds. Real harsh words can, can divide people and divide them for their entire rest of their life. And especially if it's gossip. You know what so-and-so said about you? And they speak those words to you, and all of a sudden you hate the person that they're talking about, and they may or may not have said anything. It may have been taken out of context. And now you're upset at them because so-and-so said they said something, and you won't talk to them anymore. And that poor person's like, what's wrong? I thought we were friends. you know." And you're not even taking phone calls by them. You're walking the other way when they show up. The poison of adders is on the lips of the evil person. Very powerful verse that is, that is not really considered that completely. It says, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who has purposed to overthrow my goings. Keep me, guard me. Guard me, God, from the hands of the wicked person. Preserve me from the violent. Again, that idea of guard, guarding. Why does he say this? Because they're looking to overthrow you. I have met people that their whole purpose is to try to overthrow other, other people around them. You know, they're going to say this just because they want to hurt that person. They want that person to be. And sometimes, I'm, friend, I'm trying to be friends with this person who's friends with you, but I don't really like you, so I'm going to overthrow your relationship with that person by being saying the wrong things, giving the, the poison of adders to them, and breaking your guys' fellowship so I can have the relationship with them. You know, how selfish people are. I'm always amazed when people can't share a friend. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you're so selfish, you can't share that person's attention. You can't share that person's love. You can't share your own love with more than one person. You know, you need to get better with God then and let God's love pour through you. He can love the whole world and help you. But, you know, we as a human, human beings have this real problem with selfishness. What is best for me? What is best for me? And we do that so often. My feelings got hurt by this person saying such and such and now I'm really mad. And our mad attitude does not just attack the person who hurt our feelings, it attacks other people in our, in our path as well because I am just so upset now I'm going to hurt everybody, and they get mad at you, and they get their hurt feelings hurt, and all of a sudden nobody's talking to anybody because everybody's mad for no reason. All because of selfishness. And this is why it is so important to be in the body of Christ. Jesus said, who's going to be the greatest of my servants is the one who's least. And if you're the least, you're not going to have your feelings hurt. How are you going to have your feelings hurt? You don't, you know, you're, you're the least important person in the, in the group anyway, so why are your feelings going to be hurt? Now, I know in our flesh that's hard to, hard to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But isn't it really true, though? If I look at myself and say, God, I'm the least. I'm everybody's servant. And somebody ignores me or doesn't give me any credit for something I did, and I'm the least, how am I going to react? I haven't been hurt. I wasn't looking to be exalted. I'm there just to, be ser- just to serve. This is what's so important about following what he says. Who wants to be the greatest of all needs to be the servant of all. We serve in this world and God exalts us in heaven where it's never going to be taken away in the first place. So if you never get exalted on this world and you're the servant of others, praise God. You've got a long banked account in heaven to be blessed. And here David saying, keep me from them. Their purpose is to overthrow me. Satan's purpose is to overthrow us and break our relationship with God by making us worry about our relationship with God, which is all by grace. It amazes me how much we worry about our relationship with God when we are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. And yet so many people believe that, okay, I'm saved by grace, but i got to work really hard to please God. Where do we get that mentality? It's not in the Bible. We are saved by grace. And as I said, that doesn't mean we're not going to work. But what is my motivation for working for God? God, I just love you. I just want to say thank you for how much you love me and how much grace you've shown me, God. And I just want to serve you. Not because it's going to make me special. Not that people are going to look at me and say, look how wonderful they are. Look at all the things they do around the church. But you just do the things because you're serving God and God God does the rewarding. Satan is trying to overthrow us, make us think that we're higher than our need. Maybe not even trying to make us get proud because he knows that many of us will say, no, no way I'm going to be proud. But we start getting this idea of, I've just been shortchanged. Nobody noticed the fact that I dug up all the weeds in the entire property. Nobody noticed that I cleaned all the windows last week. Nobody noticed I did this. Nobody noticed I did this. And then all of a sudden, if you really think about it. What's your problem? You're proud. You're not admitting it. But, you know, nobody noticed that I did all this stuff. God did. And he's the one that's going to reward in the long run. And Satan is going to try to put that little pin in there, that little knife in there, and pry, try to pry us apart. You know, they just don't love you well enough. Look at that. They don't, they don't care. And it happens over and over and over again. So many times when I talk to people and they, they start to complain about somebody, and I go, and why is that bothering you? Did you do it for their recognition? Well, no. Then why is it bothering you that they didn't re- recognize you? And if you did it for your recognition, you did it for the wrong reasons anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, but Satan is real good. He is real good about putting wedges between people and not making us letting us even realize what that wedge is all about and he is good at sticking a wedge in there and prying things apart prying relationships apart prying families apart prying churches apart all because people are proud without recognizing it you know proud without recognizing it I didn't get enough people saying thank you for that lesson I taught last month I'm never teaching again because nobody appreciated it. Well, does that mean they, they didn't? I told anyone one of this. One of the greatest times I ever had is I was teaching a youth group and there was a kid in the back, back row. I would have swore he was asleep. You now, he never told me thank you for what I to, told him. But I met with his dad later that week and he goes, what did, what, you really impressed my son. He couldn't stop talking about what you taught. Now, If I was walking by sight, I would have gone, yeah that kid doesn't look, didn't appreciate anything I said, I'm never talking to him again. But I'm going, okay, God, you know I don't know what was wrong with him this today, but you know you know what's going on. We need to be lifting up to God and, and you know when we get to heaven we're going to be amazed at how many people come up and say thank you. Thank you for living God out in front of me and the song I love, and I've shared this many times, is, is, it's called Thank You. It starts out, dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me. And it talks about a boy that comes up and he accepted Jesus in Sunday school because he asked. Another guy comes up and says, I'm here because you gave your few pennies to a missionary. You now, all these little things. And it's really a great song about all the little things we do that are touching people's lives and when we get to heaven, there are gonna be people that come up to th- say thank you. Think about in your own life. How many people are there that you probably are gonna say thank you to because they lived up they lived God out for you? They may have not ever said a word about Jesus, but you knew they were different. You knew they went to church, you knew that they that they were praying for you. And when we get to heaven, we're gonna know all those people that did it. We we might spend the first first part of the millennia just telling people thank you for for all the impact you put into my life. You know, I can think of many of these speakers and teachers that I listen to. I will love to be able to just go and tell them thank you, especially the ones that are dead already mm-hmm. that I listen to and can't tell them thank you. It'll be a pleasure just to be able to go and say, you know, thank you. you, you taught me so much. I know you don't know who I am. I was one of those people that listened to you on the radio and never wrote you when you were alive, but thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for being a person that lived Christ's life in, in front of me. You know, I know you never said much, but you lived a different lifestyle. You, you encouraged me by that lifestyle. These are the things that are going to happen when we're out there. You know, verse 5, the proud have hit a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me. Selah. In other words, he says the proud... Have set snares, and we know what snares are. Those are those little ropes and stuff that you have, you know, get in there and you reach your hand in and get caught, or, or you put the animal reaches in, grabs the food, and it snaps on them. Those are snares. Uh, mouse traps are a snare. Ropes, baskets that fall over the, the birds when they eat the seed out of it, and you catch the bird in the basket. All those kind of things. He says, the proud are trying to set snares for me. And what a snare does is has bait in it. And a bait that we might even go for if we're not careful, and he's saying, "God help me vo- avoid these 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 baits, these traps they're setting for me." And cords, those are ropes, rope ropes rope uh, traps. They have spread a net by the wayside, and nets are used even to this day to catch catch people, animals, people, uh, whether they are traps that come up or even that fall down on them. Uh, when you get tangled up in a net, it's a pretty big deal. I've been tangled up in a net before, and I wasn't even being caught. I just got tangled up in a net as I walked around a corner. And a pain in the net to get out of because the more you thrash at it, the tighter the net gets hold of you. You have to stop and calm down and start really working at getting out from that net. And while you're trying to get out of that net, if you've got an enemy around you, you're in trouble. It seems. Uh, he knew that every warrior could be caught in the wrong situation uh, he knew that if you went into the wrong un- unprepared you could be walking into a trap there was also what's what he recognized that he wasn't the greatest warrior in the world even though he was brave and very very smart and his, was a great leader. There's always somebody that gets that leader, lucky shot. Uh, there's a battle in the Bible, and I wish I can remember. I want to say it was, it was uh, Hezekiah, but the, the scripture says, a random arrow was fired into the air and randomly struck him between the shoulder plate and killed him. Okay, but that's just what you're saying. You know, anybody can be taken out at any moment by what seems to be a totally random event even. And David recognizes, you know, there are people who are setting traps for him. Saul set all kinds of traps for David trying to catch him. And God helped him get out of most of them. Uh, in in uh, the story about Elijah, uh, or Elisha, excuse me, the king is getting upset because God is telling Elisha what's going on. He's telling the king of Israel all the traps and, and ambushes that are being set. And the king of, the enemy goes, All right, who's the traitor in my midst? (laughs) Who's telling him of all my plans? And they go, well, we know that there's a prophet in, you know, our spies are telling us there's a prophet in Israel that's telling him all of what you're doing. (laughs) Okay, how powerful is God? Powerful enough to do what it takes. And David understood that. God, I need your help to avoid all the pitfalls that are out there. All the traps that are out there. Because no matter how careful you are in battle, you may not see every single tripwire and every single mine that's out there. And our stories are full of our day of people stepping on mines even though they know what to look for and still stepping on a mine and, and having their legs blown off because one moment of not thinking, one moment of having it hit just right, and all of a sudden you've set it off. And this is what David's saying. Was he really fearful? He just knew he had lots of enemies, and knew. And it's exhausting to be on your guard all the time. It is an exhausting thing to always be on your guard. Well, sometimes you say, "I'm just tired of being on my guard. If I lose my life, it's <clears throat> I need. I need a few moments of peace." And here's where David's saying, "God, I'm solely dependent on you. Without you, I'm in trouble." They're setting all these traps. And it says, you have set gins before, gins before me, and that's just another word for snares. It's an old, old English word for snares. <laughs> so it's, you know, you, you know, they've set snares before me. I have said unto the Lord, you are my God. Hear my voice and my supplications, O God. David's saying, God, I'm tired of being the one that's concerned about this. I'm putting it into your hands. Hear my prayers. Usually not. Usually we're not asking God for his help. We're not putting it in his hands. And I keep talking about this over and over again. How do we get through what we do? How do we grow? We've got to put ourselves in God's hands. Let him crucify our flesh and grow us with his, to listen to his voice. There have been so many times when somebody has come up to me at this church and said, I'd like to do this, or I'd want to do this, or, and there's just this little little whisper in my voice in the back of my head saying, no, don't allow this. Don't allow this. And I go, no, go by a week and find out that they're griping and complaining that they weren't able to speak, you know, do something in the church, and, and you start listening to them, and they just wanted to hurt the church. You know, many times this has happened over the last five and a half, six years many times I say thank you God thank you for your still small voice and thank you that you've taught me to listen most of the time how many times do we walk into the middle of a mess because we don't listen especially when you think back and go oh I had this feeling don't do this there was this feeling of not don't do this and I did it anyway and walk into a mess we need to learn to listen to God the first time we need to go to him in prayer and say God be my defender, be my protector, help me. David would never have survived all the attacks of Saul if he wasn't listening to God. Wouldn't have happened. There was just too many of them. Saul had too many people. David only had a couple hundred people, and Saul had an entire army at his disposal, plus spies and and people that were on his side that would have reported David. And yet, God protected David all all those years. And he's saying, God, this is my prayer, Just protect. Protect me, God. Verse 7, O God the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. He knows who's keeping him. God, you are my salvation, my deliverance, my protector. And that's what he says, you you have covered. You have put a covering over my head. No stray no stray arrows are coming down on my head God no no stray thoughts from Satan are coming across in my head because you have covered my strength my thoughts oh how precious it is when we can say God you have covered me you have protected me and a lot of covering comes from being submitted to God being submitted to whoever your authorities are their submission submission protects in many ways and David's saying God you're my protector I'm submitted to you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to go where you say to go. I'm going to be listening to you. And he says, you've covered me. You have covered me. You have put a guard over me better than any guard I could have done. And, you know, you're my salvation, and you've covered me. Verse 8 says, grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. Grant. Grant not, God. The desires of the wicked. So many times we see God fording the wicked if you just look. It's an amazing thing the more we grow spiritually the more we see God at work all around us and watch how he stops the plans of Satan, stops the plans of the wicked, stops the plans of those who are trying to hurt his children. It's an amazing thing and I think when we get to heaven and God shows us our life and shows us all the spiritual battles going on around us it's probably a good thing we don't know how bad things are Mm -hmm. if we actually saw the battles going on around us we would probably be so scared we couldn't do a thing and yet he says David is saying and David's a warrior he knows what battles like says God don't let them get their desires their wishes their their thoughts because if they did, they'd exalt themselves. They would lift themselves up. And we've seen people who have lifted themselves up because of they think they're, they're winning. We see it in gangs every once in a while when they get territory from some place and they exalt themselves up. This is our territory. This is our place. And the wicked love to say they've gotten victory. Sad thing is they don't have victory in the long run. They just don't know it. But you know, how many times have we done the same thing? You know, got away with this sin today. Nobody caught me. I didn't, get, I didn't get in trouble for it. But you know, I've met people who are just, you know, really feeling like they're getting away with something. I'm just getting away with it. You know, I don't feel, I don't feel conviction. I don't, you know, well, maybe you're not one of his children if you're not feeling conviction. And oftentimes when we're walking away from God, not walking in, in his spirit, we are losing ground every time we, we we move every time we speak, every time we say something. And we don't realize it. How dense we are as human beings so often. You know? And even it could be as I'm learning to mature. And I look back over my life and go, Wow, I used to do that? And I never had a problem with it? And God has shown me that it's a sin now? And I did it for how many years without, without ever being concerned about it? And he's going, yes. And God is saying, you're going to be punished. If you're his child, you're going to be punished. You're going to feel the conviction. And we can go along long enough to ignore the conviction and and push it in the back burner and try to ignore it. But eventually, if you're his child, he's going to make it so strong that you can't ignore it anymore. All of this that goes on that David is saying, God, stop their devices. Don't let the wicked be exalted. And that might be us that needs to be stopped from being exalted. When we're walking away from God or doing something wrong. So we want that. We, we want him to show us our life. We want to have him grow us in areas. And it's just amazing. You'll go along and you're thinking you're doing okay and then God will show you more of the stuff in your life that he wants out of your life. And you're going, oh it's ugly down there. I've been doing that. I've been doing that God. You've let that go on for this long. And he goes, well you weren't ready for this. You weren't ready for this part of your life to be exposed. And the more we grow, the more he exposes that that, that sin. Well, God says that he knows knows that the innermost thoughts of our hearts are, are iniquity and, and evil. But he also won't show us, he also won't show us the depths of our heart until we're ready to be able to deal with it. And I don't think he'll ever show us the depths of our heart. He'll just keep showing us more and more of what's in our heart and ask us to correct that. And there's always more in there because the innermost thoughts of our heart are evil when we think about it. Once we recognize our sin, we can put it at God's feet to be, help us deliver it. The problem we have is when we don't recognize that we have a sin, a sin issue. And that's just the first step. We must see what's wrong in our life to turn it over to God. But until we see what's wrong, we'll never turn it over. Yeah. And it may be a simple thing. It may be a simple pride that I have in my life and saying, you know, and God saying, I want this out of your life. A, just a simple hatred for somebody that has been there for so long that you don't always think about it, but it's a root of bitterness and anger in your heart that God says, I want that out of there. You know, those deep roots can come back to haunt us. And it's just like any weed—you've got to get the root out. Just tearing the weed out at the ground surface does not get rid of the weed; it comes back. And most of us have many weeds in our life that we never get to the root of. Sometimes we don't even let the the main weed get attacked, but you know we usually do not get to the weed because you know what—it hurts to pull that root out of your life and have that weed in there that's been dug in. That that tree with a four-foot Tap root out there and you're trying to dig it out of the ground you know if it's in your heart type deal it's going to be painful to pull that out and that's all a part of what discipleship really is is being able to really help people see where they're at and that's why we need each other to be able to say you know I've noticed this about you and I'm just concerned about it I'm praying for you and we want that to be the case and we need people that can speak that way to us it doesn't make it any less hurting uh, it still hurts when somebody points out something in your life that's, a, that's an issue, especially if you hadn't considered it. Right. But you, it hopefully if you love them enough to really care about their opinion, it's like, okay, God, is what they're saying true and do, what do I need to do about it? As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Mm-hmm. Now, David's praying this for people, but, you know, I have seen this happen more than once. If you stay focused on God and stay covered on God, I have seen the mischief of the sinners come back upon themselves. Uh, One particular individual, and I think I've shared it with you all before, he was attacking the pastor of the church. And this pastor did not deserve any attacks on him. He was a good pastor. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. But he did not deserve the bitterness that this guy had in his heart toward him. And then watch what happened to his life because the head deacon and I went to him and said, You've got to stop these attacks. This is not right. You need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness. And he said he wasn't going to. And before long, he lost his health. He lost two of his three sons to death. And his wife divorced him and he lost his job. And his whole life fell apart. I have seen God bring judgment upon people. And he's not an isolated case. I've seen this happen in at least three lives where their whole life falls apart because of the wickedness they devised against some individual that didn't deserve it. And how many of them are going to suffer for eternity that we don't know of on this type of stuff? God does not take it lightly when you attack his people. When his children are attacked, he does not take it lightly. All of us should know that feeling. If our children are attacked, whether our children deserve it or not, we get riled up because they're our children. That's right. This is my child. You know, I don't care if they deserve it or not. You don't deserve to be de- mm-hmm. talking that way about them or doing that to them. Mm-hmm. God is no different than we are when it comes to his children being attacked. And you want to talk against a pastor or an elder or an evangelist that's serving God with all their heart, you're really putting your life a in, in a place. You, know, you need to be careful. I need to draw a line between, between that and if you're speaking truth, you should say that. Depends on who you're talking to. If you have a problem with a pastor or a teacher, go to that pastor and teacher and talk to them. Yeah. Talk if they don't talk to all the other people in the church and cause wedges and divisions within, and if the pastor's not willing to listen to you, you know, listen to your concerns, and you think it's serious enough that it's a big enough issue, leave the church. About asking somebody, like, if I, I'm just using this, problem with you and I asked Had you come to the pastor first? No. I, it, this I is... Ask person. I'm not against well, What happens when you do that is you have planted seeds of bad thoughts in that person who may not have had it or did have it. It doesn't really matter but <laughs> all of a sudden this person now is wondering well... Is that teacher really that way? Is, is pastor really really that way? Yeah. And all of a sudden now, I mean, I guess you've... But the problem is, you planted it in his mind. Now he's going to go talk to his one person to go talk to, which probably isn't you. And now you've got another person. who they're going to go, this is how church splits happen. Well, it's gossip. It can honestly be concern. Okay. When I have had issues with a pastor... I have made an appointment with the pastor, talked with the pastor. There's no way to talk to somebody else for the right reasons. You know, I remember I think it was Dobson on our program a long, long time ago, doing counseling, marriage counseling, and uh, he said the uh, husband and wife, if one of them goes to a friend and confides uh, he says the marriage is done with right there. It says it's gotta be the husband and the wife or approved counselor, but Going to a friend or or anybody, even someone you trust, highly, uh, that kills the whole deal. I, could, I I mean, I really can see that. If you, if you had a problem with me, to somebody else about it. And it's going to be hard to reconcile that relationship again. The scripture tells us, accept not an accusation against an elder, but by the by the uh, by t- two witnesses. Now, I have a problem with that because I always thought that, you know, look how God's protecting, you know, protecting them. There are going to be two witnesses. How do you get to two witnesses if you never listen to the first? That meant the only way to get two witnesses coming together at the same time meant that they violated it and talked to themselves. But I'd rather have them then go to it and be corrected than to have it whisper campaign throughout the church. How do you get to two without violating the one? You don't say theoretically, it's possible that I did something so bad in front of two people who just looked at each other and said, Did he really do that? You know, it is theoretically possible for it to happen. But, you know, in 40 some years of being a Christian, I have not seen that be the case. It is almost always two people getting together, talking behind that person's back, and then coming out to attack them after they've discussed it th- thoroughly. And if the person had just done their job and not listened to the witness of one against him. And it's very important for us to understand, and it's not just leaders that we want to do this with. It is really with all Christians. But God specifically says against elders, don't do this. And people go, well, what if he's a bad leader? Then God will lead you from the church and every other spiritual person will be led from the church and they will get what they deserve, the unspiritual people in their church. But even though uh, the passage relates to uh, leadership in a church, it carries over to individuals. I think it carries over to everybody. We're not supposed to be talking about other, because we're all the bride of Christ. You know, and think about this. If we're attacking other Christians, other members of the bride of Christ, what do you think Jesus is going to do? What would any husband do if people were attacking his wife? They're going to be very defensive of their wife. Whether she deserves it or not, doesn't matter. Think about this. We're Christ's bride. If we're attacking other members that are his bride, what's he going to do to us? You think you're going to let it all you know, well, you know, yeah, I'm just going to let you get away with it. No. He is going to be, this is my this is my bride you're talking about. This is my bride, the one that I love that you're tearing apart, that you're ripping up. You know, We talked this morning about the idea of our words being full of grace but also having salt in them. There are times when something has to be said, but make sure you're talking to the right person. As I said, when I've had an issue with the pastor, I go to the pastor. You know, I had went to one pastor to apologize to him because I had said something in a business meeting one time. That wasn't a direct attack against him, but it was an attack on the position that he strongly held. And he goes, well, you're a member of this church. You have the right to to speak out if you disagree. I'm going, no, God has told me that you're for this. And even though I totally disagree and I think it's completely wrong, you're the leader of this church. You're the one that's going to answer to God at 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 the throne, not me. I'll answer for coming against you, but you're the one that, you know, and I, and I told him straight up, I think you're wrong, and this is why, and this is, and I was harder on him than I was in the business meeting, and I went, went to town on him, <laughs> in front of him, toward him. But and then and then go, now you know where I stand, but I am never going to say anything in a business meeting or at any other place in this church about where you're wanting to lead this church. My point in the whole thing, though, is, you can say anything you want to the person that is the issue, okay? If, if you have a teacher saying something you don't agree, go to that teacher and talk to them. And if you really can't work it out, take the, you know, say, come on, we need to go talk to the pastor, the two of us, or whatever. But don't be spreading it around the church that you have a problem with that issue, that person or that pastor. Because you're in a dangerous place when you're not submitted and, and picking it out. What happens all the time. It happens all the time. We as good, solid Christians need to be able to tell and go, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I have a habit, and if you've been around me long enough trying to tell me gossip, you're going to go, nope, we're not going to hear that. We're going to go talk. You want to tell me, if you want to tell me this in front of that person, I'll listen to anything you want to say as long as they're there and can make their, make their defense. All right, verse 10. <laughs> Let's try to finish up this uh, chapter. <laughs> let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into, a, into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. God says, David's saying, God let their own thoughts come down upon them. They've dug a pit, let them fall into it. They're trying to cast fire, let them be burnt up on it. Uh, He's a bit harsher than, he's a harsher than I want. David was very vindictive and his pre, precatory prayers were very hard. But, you know, and even when he was judging himself, when Nathan came to him and said, you know, there was this man who, who had all these sheep and he took the, you know, and David's kill that man. He deserves to be killed. You, you are the man. Okay. He was, he, was, he was a very harsh judge. David was a very harsh judge. But, you know, he also spoke with the heart of God, as well. You know, God gives grace and mercy, and he gives mercy over and over and over again. But there's a time when he says, enough mercy. You're going to take judgment on this world and in the world to come. All right? And there are times when hard things fall on people, and they deserve what they get. You know, it makes me sad. This man that I talked about that lost everything, I was sad. I liked the guy. He, was a, he wasn't a close friend, but he was a friend. And to see his whole life fall apart because of his sin was not something I praised God about. Okay. I had another person whose life fell apart. He wasn't really a friend. As a matter of fact, I didn't even like the guy, but I still did not like what happened to him because of his actions. You know. But David has these prayers frequently. But he's not the only one, especially in the Old Testament, that had these type of prayers of God, go get them. Now, I've never been attacked hard enough that David has been to say, God, go get them. And hopefully I don't go through that. Verse 11, let not the evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. This is kind of a very interesting statement. I had to think about this a lot when I was reading it. The evil man the the evil will hunt the violent man to overthrow him. Basically he's saying they're going to get what they sow. You know, God he's saying, Don't let that evil person be established. And if you've lived long enough in the spiritual realm, you'll see people that have that are sowing what reaping what they've sown. And sometimes it means severe pain in their life, severe suffering in their life. And it's as he, and I, for me, at least I think so, it should break our heart as a Christian when people, even though they're reaping what they've sown, it should dead. break our heart. You know, and maybe they deserve it. And they do deserve it, obviously. You know, Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh. Yes, he did. You know, and he had, a, he had a hard time dealing with what he had done to Christians over his lifetime. It was a burden on his heart. How many Christians had he put into prison? How many Christians had went to death because of his persecution of the church, and that was something that bothered him, and you see the glimpses of it all through his letters, and he goes, I've got this pain, this, this thorn in my flesh, and what it was, nobody knows, nobody knows what it was, most people believe it was an eye problem, or, but it could have been a sin issue, it could have been any number of things that kept him humble, you know, anything that can keep him humble, and, you know, it's kind of amazing sometimes because I've gone through this sometimes when I get a little proud about something and God says, let me just chop down that, that thing you're proud about for a little while. You know, and it's like, okay, God, got the message. <laughs> got the message. I was getting a little proud, you know. Th- thank you. Uh, sorry. But He said, the wicked will be chased by, their, by that wickedness. Verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. In other words, God's going to protect us. When we're attacked, God is the one that protects us. He is the one that lifts us up. He is our strong tower. If we hide in him, we really don't have to worry about anything coming against us. If he wants us to die, it just means he's taking us home. If he wants us to go through a little bit of hardship, it just means that he knows we're going to grow from it. But he is our strong tower, and he will keep all the worst things away from us. The question is, are we willing to trust him? Usually we're not. Usually we're saying, God, these windows are rattling real hard. i got to go out and check them. (laughs) In the middle of a storm when your windows are rattling is not the time to go outside and check your windows. When you're being blasted by missiles... (laughs) You know, that's not the time to leave the shelter and go see, how well is this shelter protecting me? <laughs> if you're not being hit by the missiles, you're being protected. You know, and this is what he's saying. David over and over in the Psalms. said, you are my strong tower, you are my defense, you are my protection. And he knew as a soldier the place to be in the middle of the battle was in the strong tower, unless you were on going on the offensive. And God doesn't ask us to go on the offensive very often. There are times when he'll say, take the battle out. But most of the time, he says, stay here. And even when he says, take the battle out, he's leading. He's leading the battle. When we come back at the end of the tribulation period, we will be behind him as he speaks the words that end the battle. That'd be one of the best battles you've ever been in, if you've ever been in a battle. You're just riding in victory, and he's wiping out the enemies. And... Then David ends, surely the righteous shall give thanks unto your name, the upright shall dwell in your presence. Oh, what a positive way that he ends this with. We will give thanks. And you know, it is so wonderful when we remember to give thanks to God for whatever goes on in our life, whatever it might be going on in our life, we need to give thanks to God because he says, all things work together for good. Okay, God, I've just been beat up for a whole year and you saying it's for my good. I don't understand it, but God, I'm gonna give you thanks because you say it's for my good. Or it's for good. Let's get the right out of that. I keep saying, you know. But you know, it really is everything that happens to us really is for our good when we lift him up. When he's exalted, it is our blessing that we're gonna have in heaven. It may not be good for this day in this world and this in this age, but he says, You let me lift be lifted up through you, I'm going to reward you in heaven. If, uh, the reason we don't get more prayers answered is uh, because we don't uh, come back and thank, thank him for what he's done previously, but it, it's something that can be developed, you yes. know, if you get into that idea of thankfulness for everything. Mm-hmm. We need to thank him We, and the other thing is We need to be able to accept the answer that He gives us. Because no is an answer. It's not the answer we want, but it is an answer. When my kids go, Well, you didn't answer me, I go, I told you no. That's an answer. It's not the answer you wanted, but it is an answer. If I tell you later, that's an answer. It may not be the answer you want, but you know, usually when we say that God has not answered our prayers, we're saying, God, you didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted it answered. And God's saying, you, didn't, you really didn't want that prayer answered in the first place. And you might realize that 10 years from now when you think back over this period and realize what would have happened if I had said yes to the prayer that I said no to. And, you know, we do this all the time with God. Because you know, we're just like any other kid or any teenager that we've had to you know, teach in our families. We don't like to hear no. It's maturity to be able to accept no. Yes. And even us as adults don't like to be told no, you can't do something, or no, this isn't what's best for you, or no, th- this is not going to happen. You know, if you raise a baby, you know, that baby, and you're trying to teach that baby not to do things, and you're telling them baby no, a lot. We tell the babies no a lot more than we tell them yes. Yeah. Uh, and as we mature, Number one, our requests should get more mature, and we should be asking for less things that deserve a no. But we also have to be ready to say no is an answer. I may not like the answer, but no is an answer. When we get to heaven, we're going to go, wow, God, I am so glad you didn't say yes to that to that thing I prayed about. Most of the no's are going to be things that we wanted for us want just to make me look good, make me happy, or make me, you know, and. I've said this over and over. Anytime you start talking about me and I, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. I am just so angry because this person did this this thing to me. Uh, Well, then grow up mature because you're angry that you got hurt. That's not a good reason to be angry. And we need to be so careful. We need to be so careful when we're coming before God because we need to lift Jesus up. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you do love us. Yes. And that when you give us answers, you're doing what you're giving us the answer that's best for us. Help us to be mature enough to see those answers. Help us to be able to stay in your defense and let you defend us. Because you will take out the evil. You will defend us against those that are doing wrong. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.